We are in the middle of a, uh, well, actually toward the end of a, of a series. We've been going through perhaps the most famous sermon that Jesus ever spoke. It's called the Beatitudes. And we've been looking at this sermon in a unique way, that each of the points that are made, uh, there's an author named Aaron White, who I think provided great insight, at least for me, to say that maybe this um, this sermon of Jesus is actually an outline of how we get free from bondage and addiction in our lives. That there's more going on than it just being a list of very interesting ideas, but it's actually a process that leads us into life and freedom. We've talked about addictions being an anxiety disorder. You know, sometimes it's easy to look at the idea of addictions and say that that only happens to people who live on the Lower East Side. I'm not that kind of person. And uh, I can kind of check out. Well, all of us, I think, have a certain degree of anxiety. And the way that we try to find freedom from that anxiety often is in the form of an addiction. Whether it's going to be exercise or what we eat or that we're going to use our minds, that we're addicted to our thoughts and how we're trusting in ourselves to find freedom. But we're saying that an addiction is a way to manage anxiety without faith or love. So the question that we've been asking every week is how do we find freedom? We're now on step number eight. I don't think there's steps. It's just kind of point number eight. But it's found in Matthew 5, verse 10, and it says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Righteousness being not just being, uh, you know, following all the rules, but being and doing good, it's, it's more personal and robust than just following rules. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's in the present tense. It's not just something that we look forward to, but there's something about being persecuted that actually gives us an experience of God's presence here and now. So let's ask the first question. What is Persecution. Well, the definition that we're going to be working with tonight is persecution is unjust suffering. The tricky part of this is that there's lots of different ways to suffer, and uh, persecution is just one of them. First Peter describes it this way. First Peter 2, it says, For what credit is it if you sin and are mistreated and endure it? Sometimes you suffer just because you did wrong. But if you do good and suffer and so endure, this finds favor with God. Uh, there's a certain way of suffering that is described as persecution. And this is where we are unjustly treated as we decide to do good. Now, here's the problem with that. I think we all feel that way all the time. It's called a, it's called a martyr complex. And if we, you know, somebody does something wrong and we say, you know, I tried, to, I tried to be good. I smiled at them the other day and they just looked the other way. I can't believe they did that. And I think this is so unjust for the way that they're treating me. So the problem with persecution is that it kind of maybe feels like we interpret all suffering as persecution because we're trying our best and other people just don't seem to appreciate it and maybe respond to us in unkind ways, and it's just not right. Uh, but persecution 
is when you are trying to love someone else in Jesus' name, in Jesus' ways, and somehow their response to your love toward them is met in an opposite kind of spirit. So this leads us to our next question. Who then might persecute us? It's those who are offended. Uh, There's a way that people can receive love that it feels offensive. I find that absolutely fascinating. That our thought is, I'm loving you, and the thought of the other person is, you're offending me. In Acts chapter 7, we read the story of Stephen, who is the first martyr recorded in the Christian church. And he says, he gives an outline of, um, of, of God's journey with the people of Israel. And then he ends with very forceful language, speaking to the people at that time, saying that you've always disobeyed and rebelled against God, and you're doing it even now. And then it says that the people, especially the religious leaders, were enraged, and it says they gnashed their teeth at him. Now, the, when we hear hell described that way, where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth, gnashing of teeth is referring to intense anger. That even those in hell are going to be offended because they've been sent there. How dare you send me there? That's not right. I don't deserve this. And so they're so enraged with Stephen for speaking the truth in love that they end up killing him. I remember my first experience, I, I mean, I, you can't even call it persecution, but my first experience of trying to do something that was good, at least the one I remember, and it not being you know, received really well, I used to work, as I, if you've been here, you know this, I used to work in a pulp mill when I was going to UBC. It's a great job. And I'm young and keen. And so, uh, but I'm working, uh, I'm in a union. And I didn't know about unions. And so, God bless unions. This is not a political statement anyway. But, uh, but this was just my experience. Um, so, uh, every once in a while, they shut down um, the mill and then they do kind of repairs and things like that that they can't do while the mill is running. And so I go up to my boss, what should I do? And he says, go clean that. And I, I go and do my job, come back, I go, what else should I do? And he says, you know what? You're making us all look bad. Why don't you just kind of settle down a little bit and uh, don't work quite so hard? We're not. And if you work hard, we're not going to look very good. And so just wander away. <laughs> I remember that. Okay, how much do I get an hour to do this? This is okay. I could do that. But uh, I'm trying to do good. And someone's experienced that as being offensive. That was fascinating to me. I thought, you know, I thought a better response might be like, thank you. But, uh, but no, it was, it was offensive to them that I would try to do good and I was making them look bad. Persecution happens when the way that we live and the words that we say are not received as good news to those around us. As much as we're trying to say, you know, this is the path to life and this is how things can be better for you and this is what it means to honor God. Uh, But they're offended. So, uh, 
you know, the solution then is, you know, why can't we just be nice then? Like, why should we even, like, isn't being persecuted like a bad thing? And maybe we didn't do our job very well. What's the danger of never being persecuted? I don't know if you've even had an experience of being persecuted because you tried to do, live righteously. But what would be the problem with it? What would be the, the danger of trying, to, uh, of trying to avoid being persecuted? And I think it's this. I think it's the fear of suffering. That, um, that there can be a way of living that is committed to never being hurt. You know, I think of one of the things that I'm addicted to. I'm a people pleaser. I've been that way, I think, my whole life. I, I will work very, very hard if I have a relationship with you to be nice and cooperative and we're all going to get along and it's going to be wonderful. We might even fist pump. And uh, it's just going to be a great experience. And so I, I am committed to not having any kind of disruption in my relationships. I find it really unnerving. I don't like confrontation. I don't, I don't enjoy being right. I don't see why even that would be interesting. And so I think a lot about just getting along and why could that ever be bad? And maybe people who are controversial just aren't full of God's news enough. And then I think of two people that, uh, that mess with me. The first is John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist, for those of you who don't know, he's kind of the guy who welcomed Jesus into the world, welcomed uh, his ministry into the world, was a forerunner. He wears uh, camel hair, eats bugs, uh, very blunt in his sermons. If you've ever read what he says, he's not, there's no popularity contest going on here. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, you should work on that. Like, that's not very nice, stop that. You're probably a barrier or something to people coming to know Jesus. Like this whole forerunner thing. You should be far nicer if you're going to bring people into a relationship with Jesus. That's what I think. And then, the second person that I struggle with is Jesus. That people were offended by him. Offended. He heals the sick, raises the dead, casts out demons... Uh, leaves heaven to come to earth, dies for our sins, does all that, and the world says, how dare you? Like, what's going on there? And so this got me thinking. Maybe my definition of righteousness and goodness, blessed are those who persecute because of righteousness, maybe my definition of righteousness and goodness is different than God's. And maybe a sign that I'm not as righteous as I like to think I am, maybe the sign is I don't get persecuted much. And what I would call righteousness is really just the fear of man, being nice, 
And this has really messed with me. Because you, what we find in Scripture, we're just focusing on one verse, but what we find in Scripture is that what characterizes those who are following Jesus is being persecuted. And I look how much I'm being persecuted, and I go, oh. Maybe there's something going on that I'm not fully getting yet. And maybe what I'm addicted to is ease and comfort at all costs. And even if somebody doesn't come to know Jesus, at least they'll go to hell being my friend. How does this fit into addiction? Um, So we've described addiction as an anxiety disorder. And uh, I think we probably all know that at least the two ways that anxiety gets manifested is fight and flight, right? You're all familiar with that? Freeze, but that's just another form of flight. Um, And so how does addiction fit into this? Well, when somebody fights, we flight. And we withdraw into a place that is about ease and comfort instead of standing up for what's most loving and most true. So in the face of somebody's anxiety of saying, no, I have a better definition of what love is. You're wrong. We just go, okay, I'm sorry. And so we pull away from those things. And where that actually, I mean, it's hard to follow, but please. Where that kind of, I'm sorry, I'll just... Uh, I'm going to live a life of uh, my morality isn't about right and wrong, about loving and unloving. My morality is about pain and comfort. And so this is obviously a painful moment, so I'm just going to pull away from that. And where the pulling away from discomfort ultimately leads, that flight-flee mentality ultimately leads, is actually into addiction. That addictions are a way of coping with discomfort without actually having to work through anything. It's just chilling out, as it were, if you're into weed. And then it got me thinking that maybe addiction, and maybe sin in general, is actually pain avoidance. Maybe that's why we sin, is we just don't want pain. And so I don't want the pain of being honest, so I lie. I don't want the pain of confrontation. I don't want the pain of not being liked. And so I'll just withdraw and do something that there's no risk of me ever being rejected or misunderstood. I'll just do my own thing. Other people might suffer because of my choices, but I won't. And what motivates me is to not suffer. And so I'll amuse myself with a life of ease so as not to suffer. And I will make sure that I am never persecuted. Second Timothy talks about being lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. And persecution is the opposite of lovers of self. Where where it's the it's the worst. It's un- you're not just suffering because you made a bad decision. 
People are, are against you even though you're trying to be for them. This is important for many reasons. But at least this. Unless we address fear, we can't be or make disciples. If our mentality is pain avoidance, being afraid of rejection, there's no way that you and I will be able to follow Jesus. It's impossible. More so, there's no way that you'll help anybody else follow Jesus. When I think of parenting, imagine a parent who avoids all confrontation. Maybe you've had one of those. Maybe you are one of those. But imagine a parent who at all costs avoids confrontation. What kind of children get raised in that kind of home? There is a move right now in the church, and I think it's always been there, but for some reason it seems to be coming more to light these days as I listen to other pastors wrestling through these things. And here's the pressure that I feel like the church is experiencing in this moment. We're getting uh, uh, very bad publicity these days. We're known more for what we're against than what we're for. Uh, the things that we would describe as loving, other people say is actually evil. They're the loving people, we're the unloving people. And so perhaps the church needs to go through a kind of rebranding moment. And that what we need to do is to provide a better presentation of what the good news is really about. And really we are good people and, and uh, we're just misunderstood. And uh, you know, we're working on it. And uh, if you got to know us, I'm sure you'd really like us. And I'm sorry for saying things that you might have found offensive. I really didn't mean it. And uh, maybe we could just learn how to all get along together. And so it feels as though the, uh, the pressure on the church is to become nicer. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm all into that. That just feels much easier to me. One of the um, forms of evangelism, which is this outreach where you tell people who don't know about Jesus, you try to tell them about Jesus. There was a phrase, we don't use it so much anymore, but it was quite popular a few years ago, and it was called friendship evangelism. And um, the idea is, is that people need to uh, belong before they believe. And I really like that, actually. I, I, I still think it's true. But what we noticed is that people would just be friends forever, and never get around to calling somebody to uh, recognize their sin, alienation from God, that we're actually evil, we're not innately good, and that we need to change. We just never got around to that. And we would make friends forever. And we thought that this was evangelism. The only problem is nobody ever came to Jesus Nobody ever received the forgiveness of sins. People's hearts weren't changed. And we thought, hmm. And then I read a verse like this, and I go, this is fascinating. What if the problem that's facing the church is not that we're not nice enough, it's we actually don't believe that the truth is loving. And that what the Bible says is the best news, 
And the, and the, and the, the truth of it is, it might offend your pride to hear that. It might be offensive. Now here's the danger with what I just said. People go, oh great, I get to be rude and obnoxious. I've always wanted to be rude and obnoxious. And the pastor just gave me a license to do that. I can stand with a placard outside saying you're all going to hell and I'm doing it in Jesus' name, you know? So that's not loving. That's not loving. But here's the problem. In avoiding that, we end up falling into this other ditch that is equally abusive, it's just passively so. It's mean to not give input into people's lives whose life direction is headed toward destruction. It's not nice. And we live in the tension of this, don't we? that we can't simply pat ourselves in the back and say, great, see, I wasn't obnoxious today. Well, God bless you. But did you, did you fall into another ditch that you were more committed to being liked than you were to being loving? And this is the challenge that faces the church today. Listen to Luke 6.26. Woe to you. I mean, that's just intense. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. I don't like that. I want to be spoken well of by everybody. Please. Like I just, I really want that. Woe to you if that's your agenda. Ah, and it gets worse. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. I love those false prophets. They say everything that I like. I've always liked them. And there's just a connection. I don't know what it is. <clears throat> and what did they, we'll hear more about this next week, but what did they do to the true prophets? They killed them. I am nowhere close to being killed. <laughs> like, there's no, no one's, I am, I, my door's open. I don't have to lock anything. You can get my phone number. It's, I am fine. Nobody's wanting to kill me. And to be honest with you, I'm a little nervous about that. We were at the, um, we were at the, the, the Every Nation, they called the Go Conference in South Africa. And I, I wasn't, there's one session that I wasn't a part of. I had to do something else. Uh, uh, they were, uh, people from, they call, the, the fancy word now is creative access nations, which is nations where if you uh, speak about Jesus in public, you'll get thrown in jails. So you have to be creative in gaining access into those nations. I love how people use words. But they, um, they, had, the, they had people come on stage and, uh, from these nations and, you know, one of them, I remember Pastor Tim saying, uh, uh, he says, don't pray for us. We're praying for you. Like, we're doing fine. Like, we're really worried about the North American church, however. And so we've been praying for you. I mean, a little offensive. But, uh, but, 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 I mean, that's the whole point, right? Is... 
the church that is persecuted seems happier, more full of peace, more experiencing the kingdom of heaven than us. And I'm trying to connect the dots in my mind and go, hold on here. Maybe I have a definition of righteousness that is not nearly as biblical as I like to think it is. And I've traded righteousness for niceness. So I think what faces the church right now is a call to love, but to love courageously. I've been a Christian for a while now, and I've sat with people who are addicted and who are struggling with things. And I've watched myself try to please them, and nothing changes. But they like me. Woe to you. And then there's a moment when I have to decide whether I'm going to be liked or I'm going to be loving. And I need to say a hard thing, not because I'm frustrated, not because I'm, I'm bugged or have some self-righteous, I don't know, indignation. It's, it would be unkind of me to not say something when you're steeped in sin and discouragement and hopelessness. And I've got to get my eyes off of myself and say what's best for you. One of the times that I really uh, figured this out is I became, a, I became a Christian when I was 11 years old. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I lost all of my friends because I'm a Christian. And my friends would tease me about being a Christian. And so uh, that wasn't fun. And so I'm a little kid, and I'm trying to work this out. Uh, I'm trying to work out this sermon about uh, 50 years ago. And, uh, and so here's what I think. So I had, a, I had a really good friend, and he had the foulest mouth that you could ever imagine. You know, the F word was an adjective, noun, adverb. <laughs> he didn't need any other words. It just said it all for him. And, uh, and so I remember, I remember thinking, you know, yo, I'm going to build bridges with him and be friends and and so I said to him, I says, you know, oh, yeah, I didn't tell you that. So whenever he was around me, though, he didn't swear because he knew I was a Christian. He didn't want to offend me. And so then in my effort to be a good friend, I says, you know what? You can just be yourself. He was great. And he just F-bombed all the time. And I thought, that didn't go well. Like, he wasn't helped in any way. At least a minute ago, he had the fear of the Lord. And I just helped him get rid of that a bit more. And it really stuck with me. I thought, I thought I'm building bridges, and I'm really just condoning sin. And then what happens when I live that kind of life, it sends me on a trajectory of self-comfort that gets darker and darker and darker. So, Jesus comes along then, and he says, 
Blessed are the, blessed, happy is the word, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. What if unjust suffering is the ultimate way to conquer the fear that leads to sin? Let me say that sentence again. It's a big sentence. What if unjust suffering, persecution, is the ultimate way to conquer the fear that leads to living a sinful, alienated, rebellious life? What if the absence of persecution is the absence of the very uh, uh, necessary component in order for me to experience liberation from the fear of man, from the need to people please, from the craziness that that produces, alienation that results. There's a fascinating verse, 1 Peter 4.1 says this, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Wow. Because what's sin? It's fleshly, carnal, bodily desires. And so if all you ever do is please yourself, you'll never get free of sin. That there actually has to be a suffering in order to experience liberation. Now, I mentioned this a few months ago, and I won't go into detail for lots of reasons. But a few, uh, uh, a while ago, I'm, I'm going to cloak things. But a while ago, I was persecuted for righteousness. I was, I had a moment where I was really genuinely trying to love somebody and it went really sideways. And I was called all kinds of names and uh, was um, brought into lots of different meetings. And I remember praying this through and saying to God, how do, I, how do I deal with persecution? I don't get it a lot. How do I deal with this? What do I do? He says, oh, um, I let all that happen uh, for your benefit. And I thought, well, that, you know, if that's benefit, I'd hate to see your dark side, you know. But, uh, but he says, that, that, I, I did that to benefit you. He says, I've been trying to kill your pride for years. And this is the only way that I could get your attention. That my self-righteousness of feeling hurt and misunderstood was really pride. And God was trying to liberate me from my pride, my sin. And suffering was the only way for that to occur. I'm sorry, but what if that's true about you too? And that the reason why we stay stuck in our sin is because we've never really fully stood for righteousness and bore the cost of that. It's a fascinating thought. So here's the conclusion. We are liberated from fear and sinful desires when we unjustly suffer for honoring Christ. We are liberated from fear and sinful desires when we unjustly suffer for honoring Christ. And the key word is unjustly. It's not because we were loud and obnoxious, but it's also because we didn't fear people and pursue ease over love.
The result will be an experience of God's kingdom, which is just really a euphemism for God's presence. So uh, let me ask you, um, what does it look like for you when you want to avoid suffering? Where do you go? Maybe you just go into gaming. There's no suffering. I mean, except you lose, I guess. But there's no, there's, no, there's no relational suffering if you game. You can spend a whole life there. We were just in Montreal and, and some people were remarking, you know, this is my friend. I go, you know, tell me about him. What does he do with his life? And it, it didn't say his job. He just says he games. <laughs> okay. It's a life, I suppose. Where do you go to avoid pain? I guarantee you it's out of relationship. It's away from relationship. I guarantee you. Because if you engage in relationship, there will be pain. Guaranteed. With God as well as with others. So where do you avoid relationship? What does that look like for you? We've been calling it an addiction just because it's a, it's a popular word. We could also have called it escapism. Um, fear, worse words like pride and rebellion, but we were trying to stay happy. But where do you go to avoid pain? Where do you go? What does flight look like? And then here's the question that needs to be asked. What does faith look like? Because you see, it takes faith to express love. And only as we trust in Jesus do we have the courage to come close enough with people to be misunderstood, to try to help, to care, to engage in ways that could add discomfort to our lives. It takes faith. Because here's the truth about uh, any time you or I were get persecuted. We probably deserved it a bit. We weren't that great. When I confront people it's not all clean I wish it was it's not and I say it poorly and sometimes I'm frustrated and when people correct me I mean I've read hundreds of books on pastoral care and they all do it quite poorly I have mostly been corrected poorly and what I'll typically do in my mind, is think, you could have done that much better. I would have felt much more loved if you would have said this and this to begin with, then led into this before you said that. <laughs> have another go. Let's see. How, let's see how, it's, a, it's a moment for you to work on this. And what am I doing? I'm avoiding pain. I'm avoiding, being, I'm avoiding the discomfort of being told I'm wrong. I am super nervous that the church is avoiding pain. I am very nervous. And faith takes on a whole new dimension of importance and salvation. When we understand that the only way forward into having a truly loving life is if we trust in Jesus in our imperfection and inadequacy and have a go at being loving and saying the better thing instead of just the nice thing. I'll say it again, 
In no way am I justifying being rude, but I do not think that is the church's primary problem. So let's, uh, let's pray together. If we could have the worship team come forward. Let this be a moment. There's gonna be, there's gonna be people here who would love to pray. Uh, uh, but I would like us to spend a moment pondering why discomfort is such a uh, uncomfortable place for us. Why have we adopted a morality of pain and ease versus love and unloving? God, would you please speak to us? Thank you for showing us that nice doesn't equal love always. Yes, we're to be gentle and kind, but we speak the truth in love. And so, Father, would you please free us from our fears of rejection, of feeling misunderstood. It's all pride. And would you give us the courage to love as you have loved us, not afraid to say the hard thing, but dying for our sins. Would you give us the grace to live that kind of life? By faith, we, re- we receive the truth that says, the church can stand for righteousness again. And I ask on behalf of my friends that that would be the testimony of this community.